The message you are about to hear was preached at Gosum Africa 2019. Justification by grace through faith. Stay tuned. So we can overflow with purpose in mind. You say to us. Uh, so you are welcome again this morning, and I pray that something that was said yesterday uh, is giving you a new or clearer understanding of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that's been imputed to us and that in living according to that grace we will find a more fulfilled life as believers in Jesus name so this morning we're going to dive in very quickly going on to Galatians chapter 3 uh, if you remember the theme of this meeting is justified by grace through faith so we've been journeying in the book of Galatians. So we're going to read this morning from Galatians chapter 3. Amen. Verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have we suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Amen. So if you go to your now, God's grace is confirmed. We're going to begin now looking at how God's grace is confirmed by spiritual experience. So, Paul had clearly instructed the Galatians about the meaning of Jesus' death, that through it, he paid for all of our sins so that we may be fully and permanently accepted by God by simply putting our personal faith in Jesus. End of story. Nothing needs to be added. The false teachers called Judaizers because they were from Judea cast a spell on the Galatian Christians. They, the Judaizers, rejected justification by faith alone. Paul called the Galatians foolish because they should have known better. So Paul writes to refute the Judaizers' objection about God's grace. In his ongoing defense of the message, he recalls two main things. Number one, their own spiritual experience. And number two, the Old Testament corroboration. So now let's deal with that spiritual experience first. So Paul is asking them a series of questions. He reminds them that when they believed the gospel, they received God's spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person who confirms our adoption. That is very, very clear. So he's questioning on what basis did they receive the Holy Spirit? Did they receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law or by simply believing? And we can ask ourselves the same question. When you received the Holy Spirit, was it because you did something to earn it? Or was it simply because you believed? See, because all of these things, I mean, if, if we just ask the right questions, really we should not be even talking about this at all. 
Because none of us did anything to earn our salvation. None of us. We were saved by grace through faith. It had nothing to, to do with, with your qualification, with your prayer, with your fasting, your good deeds, none of that. We're born again. Made salvation available to all of us. And by faith we received it and we're born again. So if he took grace by faith to get us born again, why do we now think we have to earn something to keep and maintain what we have? So Paul is reminding this Galatians church. It took them back to their foundation, to their root, to their experience. When you became born again and received the spirit of God, was it by believing or was it because you did something? And the answer is his resounding no. They didn't do anything. It was simply by believing. Amen? So he further asked them, back in your notes in page 20, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect or complete by the flesh? I mean, these are very simple yet profound questions. Because if you could not by your flesh be born again or receive the spirit, why do you now think in this journey you're going to be able to do it by, your, by the flesh? Amen? So laying the groundwork for the transition to flesh versus spirit, which is the second major theme of the book, the Bible says in Colossians 2.10 that you are complete in him. Amen? Since they received the spirit by believing, it is foolish to think they can become more spiritual by law-keeping through the moral willpower. Now, there's an example here that I put in this thing. Let me just try to explain it. So, Maybe you have a person, let's assume that one, a person is sick. Maybe they have cancer. Okay? Uh, they went to a doctor, and the doctor very compassionately treats the patient and gives them medication that was actually free. And the medication worked. They are healed of cancer. So here comes another pharmaceutical rep to the same cancer patient and says to them, you know what? I want to sell you a more expensive medication. Now, mind you, the person is already healed of cancer. And they got the healing through medication that was free. But somebody now is starting to tell, sell that same individual who's been healed that there's a better medication and he's going to be already healed. Now, wouldn't, wouldn't that sound foolish? You're already healed. The medication to you was free. And then somebody comes behind that and tries to sell you something and say, this is really better. Better for what? I'm already healed. Not only is it better, they say, this thing is going to cost you more money. So that's foolishness. You see how we laugh about that? And that's exactly what happens to us in the spirit. Jesus has given us something that is absolutely completely free. But religion and tradition says, no, it can't, no, it's too good to be true. If it's free, no, something's wrong with it. So you, you need to make up something. You, you need to do something on your own. Abba, do something now. And the more you do, the more frustration you get. Because you are trying to do something upon what's already been done that is totally free, that nothing needs to be added. I'll go back again to the beginning yesterday that I told you in Genesis with Adam. What, I mean, what, what could Adam have done more than what God has already done for him? And I was absolutely, completely free. Amen? So Paul is asking them these questions to just bring them back to the original root. He reminded them, page 21 now, of the ongoing experience of the Holy Spirit in their midst. 
He mentioned miracles as an example of the Spirit's work. And you can see this in Acts 14, verses 8 and 10, while he was in the Galatian area. Paul's point is that even after their conversion, they had experienced the Spirit's activity, not because they became religiously observant Jews, but simply because they exercised their faith in Christ. Now, at this junction, I just want to take a little minute, and I know most of you guys are ministers and uh, students of the, of, the, of the scriptures. But I just want to really emphasize the role and the place of the Holy Spirit in this dispensation. Because if you're ever going to see anything in, about God's grace, it's going to take the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see it. It is absolutely important that we give the Holy Spirit the, the place in our lives in order to really thrive in this dispensation. He, the Holy Spirit, was in heaven. Came from heaven to the earth for one single purpose. To prepare a bride for the Lamb of God. And in his role... He is the one that helps us, aids us, teaches us, guides us, leads us. In fact, if there's any phrase I can use to describe the Holy Spirit in the contemporary terms, it would be that, that the Holy Spirit is the administrator of God's grace. In other words, you don't get anything that belongs to you unless you pass through him. He's the custodian. Of everything grace. Custodian. Amen? So now, there are certain observations I want us to just quickly, very, very, very quickly look, like, look at in page 21. Number one, that is that people receive the Holy Spirit when they believe in Christ. Not some time later. In other words, the day, the moment, the instant you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. Now, it is normal for Christians to experience the Holy Spirit when or soon after they believe. Now, what I mean by that is, even though the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, in the instant you are born again, for some, you start hearing him immediately. Others, it may take a day or two or weeks or months, depending on how open you are to that spirit. That's what I mean by experience. Amen? Okay. Is our helper, John chapter 14, verses 16 through 8, given to us by Jesus through his death on the cross, and here are some of the ways it provides help. Now, all of us know this, but just as a reminder, A, it helps you to relate personally to God. B, it makes the Bible come alive. C, it sensitizes your conscience. D, it gives you special bond with other Christians. E, it gives you desire to defend Jesus and share your faith. F, it delivers you from destructive habits. G, it prompts you to love people in specific ways. And age, it gives you hope in spite that we will experience all circumstances. Now, the Bible didn't say that we will experience all of these things immediately when we receive Christ. Or that we will experience all of them all the time. Or that our experience will be exactly like other people. We are unique persons. And the Holy Spirit gives us each exactly what we need to assure us of his presence. Now, what I mean by that is... You cannot take my experience and assume or presume that your experience will be the exact same thing. 
That's something we have to be careful about in the body of Christ. We're going to say, oh, well, God did X, Y, Z to this person, and therefore you expect that he's going to do something for you. No, it's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true. Just like many of us, we have children, two, three children, raised in the same household. And you notice each, of, each one of those children may be different, uniquely. Oh, does anybody know? Because I'm looking at me like I... Uh, you guys are, I mean, okay, all right, well, I, I'd rather hear that uh, response from you guys than the way you're looking at me like I just fell out from the moon or something. <laughs> Even though the kids are raised in the same home, loved by the same parents, they turn out differently. And we must understand that. You can, you, there's no cookie-cutter system to raising a child and just say, well, I raise this one this way, I'm going to raise the next up. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And even some of us, maybe, maybe you're a preacher and you want, you're, just, you're just thinking and saying your son has to be a preacher. You are a disaster in the making. Because God does not pray like that. You have to be very, very careful. Amen? Good. Let's move on. Thirdly, we receive the Spirit's help by simply believing God's promise. That's how we get his help. You believe the promise. Now, so Paul, first of all, in Galatians chapter 3, brings these guys back to their root, their experience, their foundation by challenging them about how they got born again. How they believe how the Spirit of God has worked among them. Now he switches. He asks the question. Oh, I'm asking the question, but he answers it. I'm asking the question. Was salvation by faith or by law in the Old Testament? And the reason he's doing this is because, you remember I told you yesterday, the book of Galatians is either the first or the earliest of books written in the New Testament. Which means in the day and time in which, Gal which Paul was addressing these people, there were no other scriptures other than the Old Testament. You see, you and I, we are, we are post the cross. We are after the cross. So, and we are looking back and we say all of this Genesis through Revelation. Don't forget, the people to whom Paul was writing, they did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't ha don't have the book of Acts. They didn't have anything other than Genesis to Malachi. So Paul, being a very good student of the scriptures, is now trying to convince these people that in fact what I've been saying to you about justification by grace through faith is not a new thing. And in order for him to prove it, he has to go to Old Testament scriptures. And I'm telling you guys now, as I stand before you, as of last year, I didn't know what I'm about to say. I read it. I've read the material, but I did not think to understand it in the way Paul just put it. Yeah. yeah this, this, this is what I was saying to you guys yesterday about how it's a journey. We are all growing. We are all learning. And even right now, I do not know everything grace. It's obvious because I'm, what I'm about to tell you, I didn't know last year. So Paul was arguing with those guys. Because if you, if you asked me last year, what or how did people get righteous with God 
under the Old Testament, I would have told you by the law. And guys, are you still here? Yeah, come on, guys. Are you still here? <laughs> so, Paul now begins from Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Let's just read two verses, or, or a few verses. Just, no, okay, let, let, let's read 5 and 6 together so it makes sense. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand. In you, all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Whoa! Paul opens a kind of warm right there. He's saying to us that even in the old dispensation, in fact, under the law, people are only right with God by faith. That is a whole big statement. And it's not just going to say it, it's going to prove it. Now, back in your notes. The New Testament had, me, had not been written yet. So Paul proceeded to use the Old Testament scriptures to make his point. Abraham was saved by faith. We see that in Galatians chapter 3, 6, 7. And the reference he's making is Genesis chapter 15. Let's, let's read that, please. Let somebody go to Genesis 15 and read the first six verses. So that we can understand exactly what Paul is, where it's coming from. Genesis 15, let somebody read from verses 1 through 5. Fear not, Abraham. I'm thy shield and, thy, and the steward of my house. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Finish. Did you see that? Yeah. God showed him what his future is going to be. This man that had no children. Count the stars, Abraham. Number them, if you will. So shall your descendants be. Abraham's response, he believed. And the moment he believed, God, ah, you should be able to help us. God accounted, he credited this account with righteousness. <laughs> Praise God. He could have taken his ATM card and go to the, mach to the machine. Righteousness. 
What's the balance of my account? Righteousness. Why? Because God credited it to him. The moment he believed, God credited him and said, you are righteous. That's the Old Testament, Genesis 15. Amen? Amen. Now, let's go on. So, the law had not been given as yet, and we know that Abraham was not saved by his righteousness. In fact, by the way, God never mentioned Abraham's discretions of lying and unbelieving moments. We read it and see it, but God never said it. In fact, God allowed us. But as far as God is concerned, it never happened. Ah, God will help us to understand the grace of God, honestly. So salvation by faith is for everyone, not just for Abraham and his descendants, according to what we read in Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. People have never been saved by the law. Never. We can see that in Galatians chapter 3. Let's read verses 10 through 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hold on right there. Hold on right there. Because in Africa, we are big on curses. A wizard has cursed you. A witch has cursed you. Your grandmother, your sister, under the rock. Do you want to know what a curse is? When you're living under the law. It's in the scriptures. I didn't say it. Please read it again. Love. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Because if you are still living under the law, a wizard or a witch did not curse you. You place yourself under a curse. Anytime you vacate grace, you activate curse in your life. So all these crazy deliverance ministries. That's telling you it's your grandmother, your grandfather, your witch, and your wizard. They should read the scriptures. Anytime. You know, I, I, oh, boy. Okay, okay, properly. Yes. For us. Yeah. 11. No, read, read that verse 10 again. Let verse them hear 10. it properly. Yes. For as many as are of the works of the law mm -hmm. are under the curse. For it is written, curse is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law. Okay, hold on. Them. Okay, hold on. Let's, let's break it down. Because I don't want you guys to hear this and just let it pass your head. What are the works of the law? Can anybody tell me what are the works of the law is? What are the works of the law? What are the works of the law? Self-efforts. Human performance. Rules. Regulations. Statutes. Ordinances. Attaining righteousness by human efforts. Absolutely. Trying to please God your own way. The moment you start doing that, I didn't say it. The Bible says you are on a curse. I just wonder how many people are cursed in this room right now. 
Because when you read scriptures like this, you shouldn't, you shouldn't rush it. That's, that's why I'm slowing it down. For it to sink in. So you understand the implication. And the reason the Bible is saying that is because once you start on the self-effort, human attainment of righteousness, once you start on that road and you cannot complete it, you do 99.99999% of the law and you miss 0.00001. James 2.10 says you are guilty of all. You are guilty. So why start? Especially when God has given you free, complete package. Why abandon that to go and do it on your own? Folks, Christianity is not a do-it-yourself religion. Uh, 11, I'm sorry. It's not. Okay, sir, read verse 12. 11. Uh, 11, I'm sorry. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Amen. Okay, that's good. 12. That's good. No, that's good. All that's right. good. Okay. Of 12, 12, 12. Okay, yeah. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Amen. Amen. So I really pray that God will help you that our time here will be a time of real deep reflection. So you look back at your day, your routines, what you do every day, every week in church. How much of those stuff is of the flesh and how much is of the spirit? How much of that is under the law and how much of that is under grace? You should not leave this place and go back to church and start singing the same songs, saying the same prayers, and living the same way. Otherwise, you have wasted your time in coming here. Really. But I just want you to know, yes, I just want you to know that what we call curses, Wizards and witches, those things are they're, they're, they're just it's nonsense. The real curse is when you live under the law. The moment you abandon grace and go under the law, you've activated a curse in your life. Yes. Since yesterday, my meditation has been how to really present these things, especially to new converts, babes in, in the faith. New converts are that they are easy. New converts have a their heart is a clean tablet. The problem is us. Yeah. Deal with yourself first. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, 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 I'm serious. Yes, yes. And I'm not, I'm not saying this in, to attack you. No, please hear me there. No, no. The issue is not the... See, when you hear this message, stop thinking about the next person. That's a deflection. Think about you. Yeah! Forget it. Then you'll be able to... Transfight. Yeah. Yeah. You know how we sit in church, you hear the word, you say, ah, man, I wish, I wish Roderick was here to hear this. Oh, I wish John was here to hear this. Oh, I wish Sam was here to hear No, hear it for yourself. Hear it for yourself. And then once you receive it, then God, God, how do I transfer this to John Doe or to Jane Doe? You see what I'm saying? Because new converts, Serious new unbelievers that convert. They are easy to teach. Because they are not coming with a baggage of religion that we have. My problem and your problem is we have to unlearn the old things in order to receive the new. But for an unbeliever, he doesn't know anything. So you are programming him, pro programming him correctly from the outset. They are a lot easier. 
The danger are the believers that sit in your churches that say they've been born again five years. Like, like my brother was telling me yesterday, like George was saying yesterday, that those, those old men, as you know, that they're the problems. How do you teach a, an old dog new tricks? That's the problem. Yeah, go ahead. Effort and all that. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you want to tell new converts you need to read your Bible every day, you need to pray every day. Now, looking at this message, why do you have to tell him that? Why? No, see, see, that's that's what. See, <laughs> yes. you're not the Lord already. <laughs> okay, yes. Now that's where we are coming from. I'm opening <laughs> to you what we have been saying. <laughs> you know, that's where we are coming from. Now, I hear you. Most times, you. when you want to build, um, disciple a new convert, yes. those are the things we say. You know, the word of God is the is the food of the spirit, Correct. The of the soul. Correct. So you need to grow in the word. Correct. You need to give yourself to reading the word. Correct. Give yourself to prayers. Yes. Now, but with what we are saying now, all yeah. those are like the works of the you, see, you just said it accurately just now. Yes. You need to give yourself to prayers. Yeah. Good. But when you start now legislating every day, do you see the difference? When you see you you encourage them, they need to talk to God. On a regular basis. You need to read your word on a regular basis. But when I not interject every day, what happens today? It misses one time. <laughs> so once you say every day, what happens today? It misses one time. Do you, do you, do you see the implication? Because you've brought them to love relationship with Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus will motivate them to want to be with him Amen. on a regular that's the idea this is a love relationship are you married yes. good when you started courting your wife did she give you a law that you, you must call me every day really she didn't give you that law ah did you give her the law that you must speak to her every day but did you talk regularly naturally. ah naturally do you see what i'm saying it's an organic thing that's the way the holy spirit moves we are the ones that put a yoke on people. When you tell him every day, and something happens in his day, he was not able to do it on the very first day, he's discouraged. The enemy says, you see? Eight o'clock, you are not ready. You are, you, are, you are on your phone. Heaps condemnation on the person. Condemnation becomes guilt. Guilt becomes shame. And then they are buried in that shame. They feel bad. They feel worthless. They feel like God don't, don't like... That's the problem. Yeah. And this relationship between you and your wife, I just use that to describe what happens. When there's a dynamic love taking place, there's no law written. We must meet uh, at night, at 9 p.m. If you miss, if you're there at 9.05, it's over, I'm not going to... Is that not ridiculous? So, so that's, that's what I'm saying to you, that you need to transform first. Not the unbeliever. Because if you go to them and say, you need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. Now, yes, of course, we want them to pray every day. But I'm not going to legislate it. <laughs> that's the problem. Once legislation becomes involved, it's the honor of the law. Because the Holy Spirit may say, you know what, today, I want you to read all day. So, so you have to be very careful. Day. So the, you cut the Holy Ghost off. For the so, so you have to be very careful. Just show them Jesus. 
That's it. Let Jesus take it from there. Does that make any sense? My Oga, I want to make sure. Does, I, I don't want to force you to see it. Does it make any sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? The difference. Just use, it, just use the relationship as, a, as, as an example. You know? Some of our new converts in the past, where some of them are battling with alcohol, and you have to keep telling them to stop taking alcohol. A time came, they stopped coming to church because they feel they couldn't help it. So coming to church is like they are dirty, they are filthy. Yeah. So they are not worthy to come to God's presence because they've broken yeah. the word of God. So I, at the time, I think last year you, we talked about this. Yes. So I realized that the best way to deal with them is to just let them see how much God loves them. Yep. And then loving God back will become easier. Yep. And then it's easier to, because though, if you want to go by the way we've been taught. Yes. Want to force them. Sometimes we still make that mistake. Yes. But I realize that when I leave them on their own, yes. I keep praying for them. Yes. And just encourage them. A time comes, they just have to start responding. So I think that, that's what I think. That's, that. it. that's the spirit. Why? Because Jesus has a greater interest in them than you do. He does. He laid his life down for them, not you. So when we just let Jesus take them, he's able to. To do it. Listen, I, I don't know if I use my, my story here last year. I'm not sure. I got born again when I when I opened a nightclub. I did it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the point is, the point the point I was making is nobody told me don't go to the nightclub. I didn't hear any message. I didn't hear any such message. Nobody told me don't 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 drink. None of that. But when you fall in love with Jesus. Within a week of being born again, I walked away from the club. My pastor did not even know I had a club. Because the salvation experience is real. So I'm asking you, don't mess people up. Thinking if you put this, you know, if you give them this. Because they're actually good intentions. You think if you put this, you know, if you give them this rule, or get this guideline, let the Holy Ghost be their guideline. Let it be their guideline. You know what this teaching is doing is really going to change some of our pattern of teaching for me. You know, because the way we have built our teaching ministry over the time has been some of these helping people to get to do what is right. Yeah. But, um, but this uh, message on grace is like making them embrace the love of Jesus. Yes, and it. And then do it. Yes. And then accept the responsibility themselves. Yes. You are not trying to force them to do what they, they, they don't know they ought to do. Yeah. You're right. And I'm glad you said that because if that's not happening, then I'm wasting my time. So I'm happy to know, to hear from you, that it's going to change how you teach. Because that's what it did to me. That's what it should do to all of us. Because me and you should not take the place on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. That's our problem. As pastors, we become general overseer of the Holy Ghost. We want to do it for them. And you are not called to do so. Yeah. And, and, and you'll be, you be amazed how much you and I can learn when we see the new believer and their new experience in God. We were in uh, Hanoi, Vietnam. 
And the guy that was driving my wife and I was a three-month-old believer. He thrilled me and had to... Three months old. He was deeply in drugs and had narcotics. So he was delivered and came to a rehabilitation center, Christian-run rehabilitation center, away from his wife and his mother. And he kept on telling us, oh, man, if you knew me in my past life... <laughs> I'm a dangerous guy. I mean, he just kept on telling us the stories. And so I mean, we were just so curious. He goes back to be a changed man. He says, you leave the center. Ah. He says he's going to back to his hometown. But he knows when he goes back, he'll be a changed man. He said, in fact, when his mother would call to check on him at the rehab center, initially, they were always fighting on the phone. Always. They always ended in a fight. But that now that his mother is beginning to see the change in him, and that his goal is that the change in him will be what will win his wife and his mother to Jesus Christ. Now, this little three months old, he said, because as God transforms his life, his language changes, his lifestyle changes, and when his mother is talking to him, that his mother was asking, ah, you're not fighting me today? He actually said that to us. Then the mother said, ah, we had a good conversation. You are not going to fight me today? He said, no, mama. God, Jesus is taking hold of my life. You know, he said, yes. So, so for us to hear that, from the mouth of a three-month-old Christian was so refreshing that he understood that his testimony would be the key to reaching his mother and his wife. So it was thrilling for us to hear that. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, let's, let's just move on. Yo, question? Oh, okay. Get the mic water in quickly. Say yes. About we are talking about the law and then grace. Mm -hmm. May I know? In the Old Testament, was the law given to was the law given by God, or it is man-made laws that were governing them at that time? Okay, all right. It's both. Primarily, it was given by God, but as time progressed. The Pharisees, they are like the regular Africans that we, that we have, okay? <laughs> they took the simplicity of God's law and added many to it. Many, many things. So, for instance, when the Bible says, uh, keep the Sabbath and keep it and, and honor it. So, the Pharisees say, okay, that's, that's, we hear that. But that's, you, you can't nurse your goat. You can uh, give milk to your uh, cattle. I mean, okay. So by the end of the day, after it, that God did not even say. Okay. So by the end of the day, we had about 630 laws. Yes. So yes, God gave it. But the Pharisees, out of uh, exaggeration and uh, just madness, added a lot to it. Yeah. That's the question. George, you're welcome. Uh, yes. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I think I have one lecturer in the, in the Bible school who was trying to teach me as you are teaching now. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to tell me all this, what you are seeing now. Mm -hmm. But I always fight him. Until I came here and I was seeing that what the man was saying is the right thing. Yeah, yeah so... And my, and my question is that... Are you going to go back and... and no, I'm just listening. <laughs> <laughs> but but my, my, my question is that, you know, we are in denomination. 
and denomination, Iman denomination, yes. we have our rules, our system that we use to rule the church. Sure. Very big denomination. Yeah. Uh, Baptist church. Yes. We have our regulation and that kind. And you are a local pastor. Yeah. How are you going to change the whole thing? Hey! Because there's a rules that rule. And you are being monitored by the denomination. Yes. That's my question. Ah. I'm going to let some, somebody that's get out of me must answer that question. <laughs> that question is about my pay grade. But I hear exactly what you're saying. And uh, first of all, I want to commend your simplicity and being able to say the man was right. After So, so I, I thank God for that. But your situation needs prayer. When I say prayer, you need to ask the Holy Spirit, what should you do? And your choices are one or two. Okay, so you have a Jonathan who served with King Saul. And he saw in time that Saul, his father, was the problem in Israel. And he said to David, his friend, he said, my father is the problem. And one day, David, you're going to be king. And I'm going to be with you. But when he went to talk to David, the sad commented on Jonathan's life. The Bible said he returned to the city. And he died with Saul. I was spoken to him in parables. I pray that God will give you the ears to hear what I just said. Thank you for listening to this message. You can reach Pastor Bank on Facebook at Pastor Bank Akimola, on Instagram at Bank Akimola, on Twitter at Pastor Bank. Stay blessed. So we can overflow with purpose in mind. You say to us.